following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. We're about to embark on a journey together over the next few weeks. So several weeks ago, uh, as we were concluding our previous sermon series, uh, I'll let you know that there is in the foyer what is known as a spiritual gift survey. What is it that the Lord has enabled you to do? Uh, maybe that you didn't have before your salvation experience. What has God gifted you to do to be involved here in the life of First Baptist Church? So let me lay out for you what we're going to do over the next few weeks. For five or six weeks, um, we're going to talk about spiritual gifts. We're going to start off today with basically laying out the purpose of spiritual gifts. Why does God give us spiritual gifts to begin with? What do they look like? What categories should they fall under? And you'll see as you take this spiritual gift survey and as we look at the main passages that there are many various gifts that all work together for one purpose. Well, then we'll take three or four weeks. We'll talk about Easter. Easter's coming up quick. Uh, opportunities for you to invite people to be here. Uh, the biggest event I, I feel like in the life of the church is we celebrate Resurrection Sunday and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But it's also a reflection of his return as well. It leaves us with the promise that, hey, just like he said, the tomb is empty, but it's not over with yet. He's coming back. We're going to talk about that for a few weeks. And then to follow up on our message series on spiritual gifts, we're going to talk specifically about the church. What is the purpose of the church? Why did God institute the church? Why is the church here? Why is the church still relevant for today? And the main thing I really want to focus on is, you know, what does it mean to be a member of a local body of believers? The church is not an organization. It's an organism. It grows. It's a family. It's always multiplying, and it's doing different things. And there's a specific purpose for the church. So if you're writing, if you've got a bulletin with an outline in it, I'm fixing to give you several different passages that you can read up on about spiritual gifts. We'll be looking specifically at Ephesians chapter 4 this morning and four or five specific spiritual gifts to kind of lay the foundation in our conversation for the next few weeks. And uh, you can also find the list of spiritual gifts in Romans chapter 12. If you'll remember the number 12, it'll be a little bit easier to remember. Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8, and also in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, there's something very unique about 1 Corinthians 12. Paul spends a whole chapter laying out spiritual gifts, how they are used to unify the body, how they are used to work together. But he follows it up in chapter 13 with what is known as the love chapter. He says, you can have everything that I mention in chapter 12, but if you don't do it in the spirit of love, it means absolutely nothing. It means absolutely nothing. So I think it's kind of unique that he follows up those two chapters back to back. Of course, they weren't written as chapters in their original language. And then the last place you'll see the spiritual gifts briefly mentioned is in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. So if you're ready to embark on this journey with me over the next few weeks about spiritual gifts, let's all stand to our feet for the reading of God's word in Ephesians chapter 11. 
And let's get started on what it means and what the purpose for spiritual gifts actually is. Beginning in verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is writing a letter to a specific church, but it is a letter that is given for us to reflect upon as well. And beginning in verse 7, I know it says 11 in your outline, but we're going to back it up a little bit more. Paul says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. That's important to remember because if you haven't experienced God's grace and become a child of God, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't have a spiritual gift yet. He doesn't impart spiritual gifts to those who are outside of a relationship with him. He says, therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. Basically, he's talking about the burial, the three days that Jesus spent in a borrowed tomb. He didn't stay there, but for three days, just like he said, first he descended. Then he says, he who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And here's where he starts talking about the specifics of spiritual gifts and their purpose. And he gave, uh, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Notice he couples those two together. For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all, circle that word right there, till we all come to the unity of the faith. And of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love, may we grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, circle that word as well, those two words, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every, circle that word there, every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord God, that uh, even though you could accomplish your will, your way, however you choose, Lord God, you allow us to be a part of what you're doing here on earth in your church. I pray for all those that are listening today, Lord God. I pray that you would touch your hearts. I pray that you would speak to them in ways that they've never experienced. And I pray, Lord God, that over the next few weeks you would reveal to us exactly what part of the body we were created to be. We thank you for what you're going to do. We thank you for what you're going to say. We rejoice over the fact that uh, Chad has made a commitment to follow you. And, Lord, our church has uh, adopted him into our family, and you've adopted him into your heavenly family. We know, Lord God, that it is only the beginning as Chad begins his journey I pray that each and every one of us would do the same 
and helping to encourage him, Lord God, by implementing our spiritual gifts for the edifying of your body, the church. And we just ask it all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So there's a few defining terms that I want to point out from this passage before we get started. We're going to break it down here in just a minute and unpack what we just read. But first and foremost, I want to lay out, and you're going to hear me say this over and over and over over the course of the next few weeks. There is a huge difference between a talent and a skill and a spiritual gift. As you will see, spiritual gifts are given by God to his children for specific reasons. Everybody is born with a special ability to do things. We call those talents. Some people are gifted musicians. I am not. I can't carry a tune in a bucket. I can tune a fish, but I can't tune a piano. Many of you are just, you can play by ear. It's just natural for you to sit down and play the piano and sing and do whatever. You can pick up any musical Our friend Robbie Briggs, when he was here, he plays many different instruments. He plays the drums, the piano, guitar. He is a gifted musician. Uh, he has not been called into the preaching ministry. He has been called into the music ministry. Now, he could probably deliver a message if he wanted to, if he took enough time to practice and prepare for it. But there's a big defining difference between a gift and then something that is simply just a talent, a skill, or a trade that you learn along the way. So Paul lays that out right here. He says the four that I'm talking about, uh, there's four different topics, but two of them are combined together. He says, first, I've given some specifically to be apostles. What is an apostle? In the original language, The word apostle means a special messenger or a representative. Jesus chose 12 disciples to be his apostles in the beginning. And there were others along the way. The apostle Paul is one who actually saw the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus came to him on the road to Damascus. He says, you're going to be my special messenger to the Gentile nation to bring salvation to them. He said there's also prophets. What was a prophet? We had prophets in the Old Testament. But there are also prophets who exist today, I believe. A prophet is one who speaks a new message to people. It's someone who has been given a divine revelation and a specific message at a specific time. If you look through the Old Testament, prophets came, prophets went. But God brought them in at special times to speak to kings and to speak to the nation of Israel about something that he was fixing to do, some type of judgment that he was fixing to bring or a new direction that he was going to be bringing God's people in. Some have been called to be evangelists. In the original language, an evangelist was one who spread good news of salvation. I talked about this a little bit when Brother Sam was here. What's the difference between myself and Brother Sam, I'm more like a general practitioner, if you want to call it that, if you want to look at it in medical terms. Brother Sam is more like a cardiologist. He's a specialist. Evangelism is what his heart beats for. That's what he spends his entire time doing. That's a, a ministry in and of itself that the Lord has called him to. But I'm here for you. I'm here to be your shepherd. I'm here to lead you as your pastor. I haven't been called to go from church to church and church to church. I envy Brother Sam sometimes because he can come into place and poke him in the eye and run. He don't have to deal with the after effects. I do. 
But he gets to do that. He gets to go and say, look, I want to come in. I want to check the pulse of a church. I want to see what the community's like. And then I want to preach specific messages that are evangelistic, that bring souls. He's a harvester. That's why you hear him preaching about the plan. He, he mentioned several times that he's going to bring a simple salvation message. And that's what evangelists do. And then you get to the one where he couples it together, pastors and teachers. They are to shepherd and to guide and to instruct. I'm here for the long haul. I'm here for the duration. Anytime I poke somebody in the eye, I've got to deal with it. It's not for somebody else to deal with. If I step on toes, I've got to deal with it. But my point is, is I'm here to teach you and to train you and to prepare you. And like Paul says in this passage, to equip you to do the work of the ministry. God hasn't called me here to do everything. There are a lot of things that I do. But for now, what I am doing is I'm slowly and methodically equipping this congregation and leading them in the direction that I believe God wants us to be involved in for this community. And so in today's lesson, uh, our, our Sunday school lesson, over the past few weeks has been on Nehemiah, the rebuilding of the wall. Nehemiah and Ezra, they work together. Evangelists pastor, teacher, whatever you want to call it. And so if you notice that whenever Ezra unrolled the scroll and began reading to the people, they carefully studied to teach the people the importance of their worship. They said, look, we're getting restarted. We're rebuilding the wall. We're reestablishing worship. Let's go into God's word and study what the people need to hear before we present that to them. So that's what I do. Uh, this message doesn't come. I didn't wake up this morning and write this message out. But I've been praying about, Lord, where do you want us to go next? What do you want? To, that's what a pastor teacher does. Is he plans, he prepares, he, he wants a long-range plan of, you know, where have we been, where are we going, where do we need to be a year or two from now. So that's the direction that we're headed in. So there's four different things I want to talk about this morning that we see from this passage specifically. In verse 12, he begins by saying that uh, these specific gifts that I just mentioned, what are they for? They're for the equipping of the saints. So number one, here's the first point that I want you to understand about spiritual gifts. The spiritual gifts come in two main categories. We're going to talk about that in a little while. We should always be preparing ourselves and others within the body. If I'm not equipping you, I'm doing an injustice to my role as a pastor and a teacher. And I'm also doing an injustice to you as a believer and a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember our two main goals. We reach the lost and we make disciples. That, that word make, I always emphasize this because making disciples requires intentionality. It takes planning. It takes preparation. And it takes a commitment by both the person being discipled and the person preparing that disciple to make other disciples. So here's what Charles Stanley defines spiritual gifts as. And I quote this. He says, spiritual gifts are special abilities given to believers at conversion by the Holy Spirit for the building up of the body. It's for equipping. It's for preparing it's for the edification of the congregation and the body as a whole. B. 
Billy Graham says it's spiritual gifts. He relates them as tools that are to be used by believers here within the body. It goes without saying that a tool is no good. Look, I got a shop full of tools, <laughs> but if I don't ever use them, what good are they? What happens to a wrench or a saw if it sits around long enough? It's going to get dull. It's going to get rusty. It's going to be ineffective. But I have to take it from time to time. I have to use it. I have to oil it up. I have to sharpen it to make sure that it's ready to do the job that it was created to do. And what happens if you take a tool that, and, and use it in a way that it's not meant to be used? You, you could actually cause more harm than good. It could actually be dangerous to use a tool in a way that it's not designed to use. I used to pick on a guy that we did some carpentry work with. He had a big four-foot level that he was proud of. I said, hey, I got your pry bar right here. That is not a pry bar. <laughs> That's not what it was designed for. That's not a, what it was used for. We each have gifts. We each have tools in our toolbox that are for specific reasons. And what you're going to find out along the way is that some people do have more than one spiritual gift. But you should be focusing on developing one and preparing yourself to use that one at all times. So here's where the, the two main categories that spiritual gifts fall into. You'll see that here uh, in this passage and the others that we'll look at. The first category that spiritual gifts fall in is to equip, equip believers for ministry of the Word, the Bible. Not everybody is going to be able to take a passage and break it down, unpack it, and explain it the way a pastor and a teacher will. Some people will. We have Sunday school teachers that do a great job. They are called to be teachers specifically, not necessarily a pastor. But you can consider them as a pastor of their small group. They're their shepherd of their Sunday school class, and they are leading that class, and they're teaching them. The second category uh, that spiritual gifts fall into is to equip believers for practical service. What does that mean? I, I got my hands. That's all I got to offer. What can you do with them? Well, you can push a broom. You can scrub a toilet. You can do many other things that relieve me of that role so I can focus more on my study of God's Word. And I don't have to worry about those things. Gifts of service here in the church are uh, spiritual gifts. So Sunday school, school teachers, uh, they're, they're a part of this list today. Uh, Sunday school itself is a way of equipping and preparing others by providing a place where you can actively study, where you can ask questions, and you can be a part of a smaller group in a learning atmosphere. They are, in essence, equipping you in ways that I can't devote my time to doing. They may come to me and say, hey, I have a student in my class. I think they have the gift of teaching is there a class that you need a teacher for? And I'll say, absolutely. <laughs> or if you come to me and you say, hey, look, I, I think we need a young couples class. You know what the first thing I'm going to ask you is? Are you volunteering to teach that class? Because you see a need in the church. And maybe God is calling you and preparing you and equipping you to do, fulfill that role. So the next thing I want you to see uh, is that we should all be participating in some capacity, point number two. And we see that in the second part of verse 12 and also in the second part of verse 16. 
So not only is uh, our spiritual gifts for the equipping of the saints, it's also for the work of the ministry. You see that right there in verse 12. And also in verse 16, you see that uh, we are to be working according to the effective working by which every part does its share. That's participation right there. Spiritual gifts are to be used actively here in the body for the work and so that every part does its share. So that book that I mentioned just a moment ago that we're studying in Sunday school class, the book of Nehemiah, it's pretty neat the way that Nehemiah lays it out. So Nehemiah is more like the pastor and the shepherd. He's the one that the Lord burdened his heart to do the work in. He came in, he saw the, the city was in ruins, the walls were down, they were defenseless, and God stirred in his heart something to go back and do the work. The king that he was under at the time was a pagan king, and that king gave him the permission to go back and do the work, and he also gave him all of the supplies that he would needed to accomplish the work. Now it was Nehemiah's role to go in and inspire the people to do the work. One of the more important jobs that they did was establishing the gates of the city. And so there were small groups that were assigned to repair each one of the gates of the city. Some of the gates, uh, they had different names for different uh, purposes that they served. But the main role for each one of those gates was not necessarily for the inhabitants of the city to exit. But if they were under the attack from an enemy, they were to be closed and strong enough to present, prevent the enemy from entering. So one of the gates was named the Sheep Gate. One of the gates was named the Fish Gate. One of the gates was named the Old Gate. One was the Valley Gate. One was the Foundation Gate. In the translation that I read out of the New King James Version, there was one of the gates called the Refuse Gate. Some of your translations may say the dung gate. So inside that city, you had animals that needed to use a restroom somewhere. You also had inhabitants that needed to use a restroom somewhere. They didn't have a sanitation system like we have. So guess what the dung gate or the refuse gate was used for? <laughs> to get everything that they didn't want inside of the city out. How would you like to be responsible? Oh, yeah, I got to build the dung gate. <laughs> That was my job. It might not seem like an important job if you look at it from that aspect. But when the enemy came along and wanted to come in, get in, even the dung gate, the refuse gate, was just as important as the other ones. So here's the application I want you to get out of that. You may think that your role here, your spiritual gift, is not important. It's just as important as any other's. If you're not implementing your spiritual gift and practicing what God has gifted you to do, that means somebody else has to do it. It might be me. And if I have to do it, guess what? It takes me away from my study of God's word. And so here's what happened in Nehemiah's day. Everybody did what they were assigned to do, no matter how important it was, no matter how, how important it seemed. And when everyone stuck to their assignments, guess what happened? The wall was repaired in 52 days. This is an entire wall around a city 
and working together and everybody doing what they were supposed to was able to accomplish that goal in a very small amount of time. So also the work that they accomplished was measurable. They could see it. They could go out there every day and they could see progress. So is the work here in a church measurable? I would say absolutely it is. You can tell around here when things aren't getting done. You can also tell around here when things are getting done. So that leads me to my next point. We should never stop progressing. We should never stop progressing. Verse 15, it says, But speaking in the truth and love, that we may grow up in all things to him who is the head, Christ. Verse 13 says to, uh, we're to be progressing until we all come to unity. But verse 15 says that we may grow up. So I forgot and I left them out of my truck, but I've got two boards in my truck um, that, that I used as measuring boards. What they came from, uh, our house in De Quincey, we built it back in the year 2000. And on the inside of the frame of the closets of both of my son's uh, bedrooms, we started marking their growth incrementally. We would do it ever so often. Jordan had one and Aaron had one. And so you can tell visually that there was something that was measurable about their growth. Aaron was only three or four years old when we built the house and moved in. Jordan wasn't born yet. Uh, his was a little bit further behind, but eventually Jordan's became a little bit taller than Aaron's is. So before we moved out of that house, I took some other boards that I had and just kind of scribed on the side so we could have those with us. I meant to bring those today, but I forgot. But anyway, there, there was a way to tell that they were growing, that we could measure their growth, their height, their weight, uh, their intelligence, their level of their abilities to do things. And so spiritual gifts, as they grow, they should be measurable. And as they're implementing in the church, we can see that they are progressing constantly. We should never stop progressing as we implement and use our spiritual gifts. So is growth and progress measurable in a church body? I would say absolutely yes. No doubt about it. What we can tell. And so the numbers may not be getting as big as we hope they would. We, our, our congregation is not growing in size. But I do believe that the body is getting stronger. And that in itself is definitely measurable as we progress here. And that's the way a church should be. We should be complementing each other. The more unified we are, we know what each other is able to do and what each other is called to do. We know what each member of the body is gifted in. We can see their talents. We can also see the spiritual gifts that God has blessed us with. And so that leads me to the next point, point number four. Now I think that this passage represents this well what the overall goal of spiritual gifts are. Paul uh, relates the church to a body, a body of believers, the body of Christ. And you'll see in 1 Corinthians 12, he says, you know, one person is an arm, another person is a leg, another person is an eye, another person is an ear, somebody's a big toe, somebody's a pinky finger. But they all have important parts. So the overall goal 
of spiritual gifts is to present to the Lord Jesus Christ a healthy, unified body. So point number four leaves you with the question this, are we presenting to Jesus the healthiest body possible? Herein is the overall goal of applying your spiritual gift within the body. That the whole body will be joined and knit together so that when Christ returns, we can present to him a unified church and a functioning body that is accomplishing what he created it to do. One of the verses that you'll hear over time and time again is one that Jesus quoted. He said, look, he said, I'm going to build my church. He said, you can't build it. I'm going to build it, but I'm going to use you to do it. He said, and when I build it, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's pretty incredible if you think about that. We're hell fighters. <laughs> Brother Sam is uh, involved with a group that that's the name that they go off of. But if we have a weak body, guess what? We don't stand much of a chance. We want to present to the Lord Jesus Christ a body that is growing. That it may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by every joint supplies the needs. What are your needs today? Are your needs being met? Matthew chapter 16, if you want to write that down, that's, that's where he said the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. And I want you to remember that picture here in just a minute. You, you just imagine us as a group of believers. We're up against the hottest flames of hell. And it's pretty easy to see right now that our culture is being overtaken by Satan. We have many people, that, that wide road that Brother Sam was talking about the other night, that's where it's headed. It's headed right toward the pit of hell, the flames of hell. And Jesus said, it doesn't matter how hot those flames get, it doesn't matter how high those flames get, you are my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against you. But he said, you have got to take your spiritual gifts, what you've been gifted with, and implement them to make that body a stronger, leaner, muscular, functioning, unified firefighter. To where you can charge hell with a water pistol. I think some of you are ready to do that right now. From what I saw Wednesday night, what we sent an army out of here the other night that said, you know what, I am committed to share my faith. And I am committed to take on hell with a water pistol and do my part for the kingdom of God. And what I want to do is I want to go out and I want to rescue other people from the flames of hell. And let them know that there's a place here where they can serve, where they can grow, where they can be a part of a unified family. I, I didn't expect, this is just how God works. Some of you think that we've got this little preacher's book of stories that we share during sermons like this. But you take life experiences and turn them into a sermon. Some of you have already heard about what happened last night. 
Marcy and I were sitting on the couch. We had just finished eating supper. She was over in her chair. I was on the couch. Usually after I finish supper, man, that old food hits the bottom of my belly and the eyelids start getting heavy and it don't take long. But we had just finished. We were watching a little TV, which is uncommon for us. My couch was up against the window. She was on the other side of the room. And as soon as I put my plate to the side, it wasn't but just a few minutes, I smelled something. I said, man, that's, that's not a barbecue pit. That's wood burning. And I looked across the room and she had the same expression on her face. Something's on fire. And as soon as I opened the front door and looked out my yard, the, the, complete, the yard, it looked like fog rolling across. There was so much smoke in my front yard. By the time I could get outside in my front yard, I could tell that there was flames coming out of my neighbor's roof. One person was standing out in the yard, and I said, is there anybody else inside? They said, no, 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 nobody's inside. It was him and his dog. The rest of the family had gone for other events throughout the night. And what I saw unfolding throughout the night best describes what I'm talking about this morning. Let's just go through what might have happened or what might not have happened. What was the first response that you would make if you see something like that? I got to call 911. What if that dispatcher on 911 said, you know what? I'm not calling the fire department. It's probably a false alarm. But they didn't. They did their job. They rang the bell, whatever kind of alert they give, and within minutes, I was really, really impressed with the response of our local emergency responders and fire department. I, I... Morgan City Fire Department did a phenomenal job. Berwick was there, I believe, several other fire departments. But within an instant, they were there. But what if that fire truck driver would have said, you know what? Somebody else is going to have to drive this rig today. I'm not taking this fire truck out of the, out of the garage. How fast would that situation have escalated if he would have said that? What if each one of those firefighters would have said, you know what, I just got through eating, this bed feels good, I, not tonight, but they didn't. Each one of them did what they were supposed to do. And then I watched, some of them were assigned to roll out hoses, some of them were assigned to open up the fire hydrant, and I mean within minutes, by the time we could get back in the house, get our dogs and get in the truck, there was a firefighter standing between my house and the neighbor's house with a water hose ready to put water on my roof. Now the damage to the house was on fire is it's beyond repair. But it wasn't nearly as bad as it could have been if they had not have worked the way that they did. And I got to think about, you know, it's not over with yet. There's still a lot more to take place. There's so much more going on. The police, uh, the fire chief, he was standing there. He didn't have to do he didn't even put his bunker gear on. I considered him to be kind of the pastor of the group. He was making sure that everybody went in, had a full tank of oxygen. He knew how much time they had left. He wanted to see how many oxygen tanks they had left to complete the job. He was making calls to other fire departments. We need backups to get them on the way. He was doing what he was assigned to do, what he was trained to do, as he pointed each other in the direction that they were supposed to go in. And I would have to say that they trained a long time doing what they did last night. Preparing for that moment, 
making sure all the equipment was in place to fight the fire that they went to. There's a fire that's burning right now. And it's called hell. And there are many people headed in that direction because they don't know who Jesus Christ is. They've never heard the gospel. And what it's going to take, it's going to take all of us doing our part. I I can only reach so many people myself. I'm going to do the best that I can. I'm going to work tirelessly. You're going to see me in different places. But just think if this little army is standing in front of me. Some of you have already made a commitment to share your faith. Just think if each and every one of us does our part. Not, not only here in this body, not only here in this congregation, but out there. This is my mission field. I'm working from my mission field today. God's called me to do several other things, but right here is my mission field. Your mission field is right out those doors. Your school, your place of work. There's fires burning all over the place there. When we started this revival, one of the first things I wanted to do was equip you to share your faith. We had a soul winning and evangelism training on Saturday that started our revival. Many of you learned how to share your testimony. Many of you learned how to effectively use scripture. Many of you learned about the resources that we have available to make it easier for you to share your faith. And so now it is your job to go out and fight the fires of hell and snatch that one more person out, just like Chad did the other night. We, we were able to pull him out from the direction he was heading him and give him hope for a new life. Jesus said, I will build my church one person at a time, one gift at a time, one church at a time. Hey, look, I've heard about several other little pockets of revival that's going on right now outside of our church. I think we're going to just, we're, we're just seeing the beginnings of revival here. I'm anxiously awaiting to see the fruits of our revival over the next few weeks, the next months, maybe even the next years. That's, that's the measurement of revival for me is what happens after. Not necessarily what happened in that week. What happened during this week excites me a whole lot. But I think the real measure is going to be how far it goes. How, how long will this momentum last? So my question to you today, do you know what the purpose of your particular spiritual gift is? Before you even discover your spiritual gift, I want you to know why God gives them to you anyway. The second thing I want you to know is you're not going to receive a spiritual gift until you become a child of God. God's not going to give a spiritual gift to someone who is outside of his salvation and his family. So the question I have for you today is, you're either one of two things. You're either an enemy of God or you're a child of God. You're either in direct opposition of God or you're going in the direction that God wants you to go in. There is no middle ground in this either. You're either traveling down that wide road that Brother Sam talked about the other night or you're on that narrow path because you've gone against the ways of the world. 
Either you're going in the direction that everybody else in this world is going in, which is straight to hell. Many of you saw that on the whatever the Grammys or the Emmys or which I don't even watch that junk, but I saw enough about it to know there is some satanic worship going on in our media, in Hollywood, and in our culture today that is so ungodly. It is, they're not even trying to hide it anymore. They're not even trying to hide it anymore. And the more we step back and remain silent, the more prevalent it's going to become. But what God's looking for right now is some believers that will say, I know what my gift is. I'm going to find out what my gift is. And I'm ready to charge hell with whatever it takes. I'm ready to extinguish the flames. And I'm ready to see who I can go and pull out of the flames of hell and let them know that they can have a new life in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if that's you, if you've never stepped into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, Today could be your day to do that. The first thing you've got to do is got to terms with yourself, come to terms with yourself and say, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm in opposition of God. I know that I'm not a child of God, but I want to be. I know that I'm living in sin. I know that I've done some wrong things. I know I've done some things that are displeasing to the Lord, and I want to change. And when you come to that point, you say, God, save me. God, I, I want to be on your side. I, I don't want to go in that direction anymore. That's what the Bible calls repentance. It's turning from one direction and turning toward the Lord, saying that's the direction I want to go in for the rest of my life. And you can make that decision today. Every head bowed and every eye closed. What's the first step? The Bible says, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says that there are none righteous, no, not one. Isaiah says that we are all as an unclean thing and all of our righteousness is filthy rags. We're born with a sin nature that separates us from God. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death, a spiritual separation from God for all eternity in a place called hell. Not what God created us for. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. The Bible says that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ or Lord. A gift is not yours until you open your hands and receive it and say, I want that in my life. And God shows his love for us that even while we were sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8 says, while we were yet sinners... God knew you were going to need help. God knew you were going to need to be rescued at some point in time in your life. So he sent his son, his one and only son in this world, as a one-time sacrifice for all a man's sins. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Are you a whosoever? Are you one of those who has accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Say, I don't know, Brother Tracy. I've never made that decision before. Romans 10, 13 says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's exactly what happened to my friend Chad on Sunday night. He confessed his sins. Jesus cleaned him and made him a new person because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away and all things become new. Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. It's just like starting your life all over again. So if that's you this morning and you want to make that decision, during the invitation time, it's going to be open for you and specifically for you. To make that first step, every head bowed and every eye closed, it starts with a simple prayer. You, you just get before the Lord. You say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm not going in the direction I should go in, and I ask you to forgive me. Just died on the cross for my sins, and I want to make him my personal Lord and Savior and commit to following him for the rest of the, my life. So if that's a decision you want to make today, in just a moment, when the music starts, I'm going to ask that you come let me know. And we'll help you get that started. Perhaps you're here today. You're, you're a Christian and you haven't impl implemented your spiritual gifts. Perhaps you know for certain that God is your Father, Heaven's your home. But you say, Brother Tracy, I'm just, I haven't been engaged like I should. I haven't used the gifts and the abilities that God has blessed me with. How can I be involved? I'll let you know. Don't worry. <laughs> Don't worry. There's plenty enough for everyone to do around here. Or perhaps you've got something going on in your life that you say, you know, it's just not right. I, I know I'm a child of God, but there's something that I just can't overcome. These altars are open. These front pews, we'll open them up as altars. You just come get along with God and say, God, I want to nail this down. I want you to help me overcome this. Because I'm tired of dealing with it. And he'll do that very thing for you. Father God, we love you so much. And we thank you for all you're doing. Here that needs to make a decision. I pray that you'll give them the boldness that they need. To step out in faith and turn their life over to you. And start a new walk with you for the rest of their life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.